Welcome Capital Raisers. Gabe Peterson hung out with me and talked shop on scaling mindset and one of the most powerful ways to raise capital, seller financing. More on this as the show unfolds. Are you guys ready to raise? Shout out to the Family Office Club and our newest show sponsor, Invest Next. Whether you have 5 million or 500 million AUM, Invest Next delivers an institutional great experience to your investors and automates tasks like K1 distributions with a single click. With that, it's Capital Razor Show, episode 295. And it starts now. Rock and roll. I got Gabe Peterson on the Capital Razor Show. Welcome, my friend. How the heck are you? Ruben, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great. <laughs> awesome. So good to have you, dude. Was fortunate enough to be on your show as well. Season four, powered by the Family Office Club and sponsored by our new sponsor, Invest Next. Welcome. Tell us a little bit about your background in real estate and how you, your journey that led you in this direction. My story is not linear, and I feel like that is the case for every single person I talk to in real estate. I got started, I'm going to go way back, all the way to college. Uh, I was thinking about going to law school, did all this stuff, took the LSATs, went and shadowed people who were in law. I was even going to a law school. I was going to go to Vanderbilt. And last second, I was like, okay, this is not for me. I can't do it. I had no, no motivation to be a lawyer. So I said, no, that's not the direction I wanted to take, but I didn't have a plan B. And so I just started going out, meeting with people who were professionals in the workforce that I knew in our family friend circle. Eventually, I had lunch with a buddy of mine who worked at Accenture. His job sounded cool, management consulting. So I went down that route, got a job as a management consultant. I quickly realized it also was not for me. I did not like the commute. I didn't like being away from work all the time or from home all the time and just not having control of my work direction, what exactly I was working on, not having control of how much I earned, all that kind of stuff. So I knew from the beginning that I didn't, corporate life wasn't for me, but I didn't have another option. And so mm-hmm. I was I was that dude who was like scrolling through Facebook and you always see those those ads that come through and they're like, Hey, make a million dollars this way, make a million dollars that way. And so I tried all those. I tried e-commerce store. I brought an e-commerce store to make about 20,000 a month in gross income, not net. Didn't like that. Put that to the side. Uh, I did a digital marketing agency. I was marketing for people. And this is all while I was working for, for corporate. And then in 2014, I did my first flip. It was a triplex here in Tacoma. And we made, I think it was like $86,000 on that flip. And at the time, that was like the most money. You know, we each got a check for 43000 It was the most money I'd ever right. seen in my life. And I was like, okay, there's something to this. But I didn't really have like a strategy to make that into a real a business because we got that money, but I did it with a friend. We did all the work and it took all the money that I had essentially to buy the property. So I, now I had an additional $43,000, but I was like, I couldn't really envision how to turn that into a business. So fast forward 2014 to 2019, between those times, I was still working corporate. I didn't, couldn't really make the leap into my own business. I was doing wholesales, doing a couple more flips on the side. But then in 2019, I decided, all right, I can't do this anymore. I need to make the leap. It's over. I can't do corporate. And so I chose to go into commercial real estate. I started going out and having lunches, dinners with people, trying to figure out how to make this work. 
Eventually, I met a partner that I'm still a partner with on a project. We bought a mobile home park out in George Washington and quit my job, bought another mobile home park. And then I kind of took a step back. I decided I was mobile homes where I want to be. Is there any other asset class I want to focus on? I landed on self-storage and then we bought four or five more self-storage facilities. And that brings us to today. Woo. All right, cool. Yeah. What kind of law were you thinking about doing just out of curiosity? I was like 19 year old. I didn't really know. know. <laughs> Somebody that I, human rights law was the thing that I had in my mind, but that was like a very abstract concept to me. I didn't really know how that would be applied, but yeah. Okay. So it, it doesn't sound so unlinear to me. I think this is a path. Sounds actually almost like my path. I started with fourplexes, moved my way up a little bit, got kicked back into corporate America and then came back around and wanted to do a bunch more fourplexes when someone's just like, well, how many of these do you want? And I was like, well, I think 32 fourplexes would be great. <laughs> and they calculated that's 128 units. Why don't you just go buy them right now? And I was like, whoa, I don't know how to do that. So they introduced me into syndication. But what's kind of interesting is I didn't know anything other than I wanted to get into real estate and all I knew was fourplexes. And there was a, I went to this one particular school of thought that taught like, probably 25 or 30 strategies. And once I saw multifamily, I was like, oh my God, this is where it's at because you can force depreciation. That kind of led me, but it all started with the same kind of ideas. Like working behind a desk for corporate America is not the answer for me. I'm just not built to work for somebody else. I have an entrepreneurial spirit. Sounds like you have something very similar. I want to kind of dive into some of the phases of transition for you. When you said, hey, I don't know if I want to do this, let's get into commercial. What was the mindset there? What was attractive about commercial? It sounds similar to what you went through because up to that point, I had had rentals. Like I'd bought single family rental, a duplex, and I understood how that worked, but I couldn't see the cash flow that I was getting from those rentals. I knew that I couldn't take that and turn it into something that I could live off of, at least in a relatively short time frame. Because if you're doing two duplexes or a single family, you got to buy a large number of houses unless you buy a portfolio and that really wasn't in my purview at that point. And so I just didn't think that I wanted to spend 10 years accumulating single family houses yep. to finally get to where I wanted to be. And that's when I started looking into other asset classes, figuring out how you can scale it quicker. And I landed on mobile home parks just because... The per somebody that I met was had already taken a course and he was interested in it. I wasn't like super gung ho about any of the asset classes, so I was like, okay, let's let's do mobile home parks. This sounds great, and it was. I love mobile home RV parks; they're a great yeah. asset. Self storage, love that too. So, <laughs> okay, cool. And then, so I'm curious about the moment that you quit your job because it sounds like you did a mobile home park and then you quit. Did you have the income reserves or what was that moment like for you? Was it a big celebratory moment or were you just like, oh, finally, or what happened there? No, it was, it was scary and I did not have as much money as I would like to have had. But the problem was like, I always said, like, if I get to this amount of money, if I get to X number of dollars or whatever, then I, then I'll, I'll jump. But I never, it was so abstract and in the future that it I never really had a motivation to really kick it in the high gear and get shit done. And so I just got to the point where I was like, I have enough money, like I'm not going to die. <laughs> I'm not going to like go homeless. And I had a an amount in the bank. I can't remember how much it was. But I had enough to live for I think it was like six months. 
and buy this this park and i just said okay i just got to do it if i if i'm completely broken six months then i'll go get a job but i had to make the leap and it worked out <laughs> okay so you haven't run out of money since I have not run out of money since. Thank God. Oh, that, that's beautiful. Because yeah. I think a lot of people, they do run out and they have to depend on their spouse's income. Or I mean, particularly like for people that get paychecks every once in a while, if you're not participating in acquisitions fees or you're waiting yeah. until you go full cycle before you have money. Yeah. It's like, what do I do for money now? Well, that that scary. is the hard thing. If I were completely relying on income from the parks, it would be or from that one park, I couldn't just live off of one park. But if if I wanted to do it where I was just relying on the income from passive cash flow and buy more units, that would be difficult. We do wholesales. And so we have active income coming in there. Okay, would you say for the listener that's kind of tuning in and thinking maybe I should take the leap? What do I need to do? They're starting to realize potentially that single family is going to be a very challenging road to scale because it's going to take a lot and a great deal of time too, which is your most important probably asset of all. It's not money, it's the time that you have. And if you're out there property managing, it's going to be super tough. What kind of reserves do they need to have in place? And is it feasible for most people to get into commercial or is that something that's unique to very few people that are like crazy go-getters? What do you think there? I don't really ascribe to the fact that everybody everybody can be an entrepreneur, but I don't think everybody is really, it would fit their personality well. I think you'll know if that's going to fit you well or not. I even tried to convince my partner to, my girlfriend to try to start her own business and she did, but then she was like, I don't like this. And so she went back to corporate. She likes corporate. That's something that really fits who she is. And so... I don't think you should really force yourself to be an entrepreneur if that's not something that fits your personality. I don't think it's all that much more difficult than single family in terms of complexity. Well, I guess complexity, it's more complex, but it's just not that much more difficult to to close a single family house than it is to close a self-storage facility. There's extra steps you take, but it's not like astronomically different. And so if you want to get in commercial, you can absolutely 100% get in a commercial it doesn't even have to be your main gig. You can do it on the side. I wanted it to be my main gig. That was, I wanted to have just this that I wanted to focus on. But I've met tons of people in real estate and a lot of people, they keep their job and then they buy things on the side and that works too. And so there's a lot of ways to go about it. You don't have to be do the entrepreneur quote unquote route where you're making it your full-time job. And also I feel like, well, I guess if I were to restart the best way that I would have suggested my earlier self to go about it would be to try to work with someone who is doing deals and just value add somehow to their the deal that they're already working on. You don't have money, that's all good. You can add value to their projects in other ways. You can look for deals, you can help them out with due diligence. Due due diligence always is, is a hard process to go through. So there's tons of things you can do, but just try to add value try to get on board with somebody who's already out there doing deals and then learn from them that way because that bypasses a lot of steps that you'll have to take. Awesome. Uh, real real yeah. quick, I want to add and piggyback to that. If you're wanting to partner with a syndicator or commercial real estate investor and you don't know what value you can bring, ask them a question like this. What would it take for you to 10X your business and then be quiet? 
and they'll tell you, oh, I need more capital, or I need more marketing, or I need better underwriters, or I need better partners. And then that will kind of open the door for you to see if you can fit any of the molds that they're asking for in order to improve their business. Just my, instead of asking them like, what value can I add to you? Because they're not going to be able to dissect you and understand what skills you have. Ask them a deeper question versus forcing them to figure out what skills you have. Just yeah, my yeah. thoughts on that. So you moved into commercial real estate, I should say, into self-storage from mobile home parks. Were you with new partners or were they the same partners? Well, first, I just started out on my own. I liked mobile home RV parks. I think they're great assets to own. But I, I wanted to go into something that wasn't lived in. And just that was just a personal preference. I didn't want to own something that people, you know, multifamily, mobile home RV parks, single family, where people call it their home. And I just wanted to do something that was a little bit more businessy. Very I brilliant. looked at, yeah, I looked at industrial. I still think industrial would be great. But when I was looking at the time, the capital required to get that started mm-hmm. is a lot more difficult than self-storage. And so self-storage, I just, I landed on it. It's considered recession resistant. And so it, it performs in both markets pretty well. You can manage it remotely. And so you can set it up so you don't have to have somebody on site all the time. Um, yeah. It is better definitely better. And I've learned this lesson to have somebody on site all the time, but, but you can do it remotely if you want to. So I there's like. a lot of benefits of self-storage and that's just kind of where I landed. But I'm not saying that that's all that we, now we're, we're looking at everything because I have a cool. lot of a lot more experience under my belt. And so we're still looking at mobile home RV where self-storage is something that we actively market for. And then industrial is something we don't own yet, but I really want to want to own. amazing. Yeah. All of those asset classes are amazing. From the self-storage guys that I've interviewed, a lot of them, they're just like, I didn't want toilets, tenants, or termites. And like the residents, or I should say the tenants in self-storage, they don't live there. There's no toilets. There's no termites. It's just a lot of times concrete or metal. I guess if you have wooden self-storage, it could get termites, but it's less likely. It's a a lot simpler. And I have zero... Like, I don't feel bad when we have to do evictions. It's just like, hey, you stored your stuff here. You didn't pay. Fascinating. We're going to kick your stuff out. (laughs) But if somebody, you know, even the mobile home parks that we own, when people don't pay, they always bring you their sob stories. And when we talk to our property managers, we have to hear them. And sometimes I am, it hurts to have to go through the process of eviction. It's a necessary step, but it still is difficult to make that decision. And so I haven't heard people say that. Yeah, it's a lot easier. That's fantastic. So I could definitely see why that would be an easier path, less emotional path, better said. A little bit before the show, we started talking about seller finance. I used to be mentored by a gentleman named Mike Watson like 15 years ago, and he used to talk about creative ways to capital raise. And he said, seller finance, if you can convince somebody to seller finance for you, then that's less capital that you have to raise for the deal. And I thought it was such a brilliant strategy. There's very few of the people that I've interviewed over the years are into seller finance. It's a perfect time in today's economy to start looking at creative finance, including seller finance. Tell us about your structure when you're taking down those deals. Before we go into your into your new kind of business ventures or business models that you're going to be seeking, for the self-storage that you have done seller finance for, how have you set that up? How did you begin to learn to negotiate that kind of a creative finance strategy? I, how did I learn? I learned, I was just watched videos online on, I think it was on YouTube. I can't remember the channel that I was watching or else I'd give him a shout out, but I watch videos on YouTube and it's, 
if you've gotten a loan from a bank, it's essentially, it is the same thing. They are the bank, the seller becomes the bank. And so everybody knows the language of seller financing, whether you think you do or not. If you've gotten a loan, obviously from your single family house, it's the same language. In my opinion, it is the best way to close deals because it benefits both parties. There's a lot of benefits for the seller and obviously for the buyer, it's one, a lot easier to close deals. So much easier just because you don't have to go through all the crazy steps that banks make you go through. You still want to make sure your due diligence is on point. You want to make sure you're getting a good deal, but you don't have to get an appraisal if that's not a step that you want to take. If it's a seller finance deal, there's there's different things that can be cut out of it. So how do I structure them? There's different ways to structure seller finance deals. And mm-hmm. that's what I love about it is it can mm-hmm. you can be creative with it. You can make sure that it fits everybody's needs in the deal. The first one that I did was for a self storage out in Dallas. And that was, it was just this old guy. He had this self storage facility and he wasn't managing it at all. He like, I asked for a uh, rent roll and he just showed me this paper with a few people's names on it. And the occupancy was super low. It was like 20 something, but it was in a good area. And I knew that if I marketed it, he didn't have it online. He barely had a phone number on the side of the building. And so if just you did proper marketing, I knew that it would be filled. I called facilities in the area. They were all 90% plus occupancy. So I knew that it was his problem in management. That was that was the problem. But a bank would not finance something that doesn't have an income. There's no debt service coverage ratio is not going to be there. And so I brought the idea to him. Why don't we do seller financing? This will allow me to buy it at the price that you want. And it's going to have a negative cash flow for me in the beginning. But I had confidence that we could get the occupancy up by just doing very, very small improvements. And we did. He gave me, uh, let's see, I think we did 20% down, which is pretty low. And then 6% interest with a balloon in five years. And it was amortized over 25 years. And yeah, we bought it. Negative cash flow at the beginning. We were losing money each month. But now it is, I think we're at 92% occupancy. We got up to like 70% within, I think, two months. And so within two months, we were positive. Everything was great. And yeah, that is having seller finance in place at that in that situation allowed me to close the deal because banks, I even brought it to banks. I said, hey, will you finance this? They all said no, especially because I didn't live in state. A few of them said like, we would, but you don't live here. And so we don't trust that you can do the job. So this guy, he trusted me to, to run the deal and, and we got it done. Guys, a lot of people think that seller financing is better for the buyer than for the seller because they don't have to credit qualify. But imagine this, you're an older guy or lady, you have some property that you want to get rid of, but you're not really interested in selling for less than it's worth. You're also not interested in paying huge capital gains. So when somebody approaches you and says, hey, the banks are some of the wealthiest companies and corporations in America, and the reason they do it is because they finance and make money, they make cash flow every single month without actually having to own the property. And if somebody fails to pay, they just take the property back and can do it all over again. That's a very, very powerful strategy when you can explain the benefits to the seller and show them how they can make more money with less headache without paying capital gains. So I'd highly recommend investigating this particular strategy. It's very powerful. So I love that. 
I got one more example that Please. we can go into because it shows like a lot of sellers, they, when you talk to them, they have a price in mind. They're like, yes, this is the price I need to hit. And there's no way I'm not going to go anywhere under this price. And generally that price is too high. In my opinion, like they're not actively out there looking at the debt market, trying to understanding rates. And so they have this astronomical number. And with the current market, especially at 7% interest, it just doesn't pencil. And so we had this situation, the self-storage facility out in Lawrence, Indiana, in Indianapolis. It was a seller. He wanted $1.5 million for the property. And he was like, that's it. I want this number. I'm not going any penny lower. And it did not make sense at all with the numbers if we were to actually put debt on it. So what we did... It was still a good deal because he was, in our opinion, he was under market with the rents and then it came with an expansion potential. They had built six buildings and there was, that only took up half of the parcel and they even had design plans already created and it was already permitted and everything for an additional six buildings on the back half. And so there's a lot of potential there, but he just wanted this number and he didn't want to go lower. And we were like, okay, we can make this work, but we can do seller, what will have to be seller financing. And so he said, okay, I want $5,000 a month. And so we said, okay, let's work this out. And so what we did ended up doing was we did it interest only, seller finance structure is interest only at 6% for 10 years, and then a balloon payment at year 10. And this made it whatever, I can't remember how much we put down, I think it was 200,000 down. But that hit his $5,000 per month mark, you know, right on the penny. It allowed us the cash flow and allowed us to buy the property and it hit his total number that he was looking for the 1.5 million. So it all his his buckets and it also allowed us to pick up a property that had a lot of future value, a lot of potential while still cash flowing. So it hit everybody's buckets pretty well and uh, worked out. Okay, cool. And then so there's still a little bit of down payment that you need for some of these seller finance projects. You mentioned that you do joint ventures on occasion, is that correct? Yeah. Yep. So that's another form of capital raising, in my opinion, because if someone's bringing the money and it's not yours, then you just raise the money, even though you're going into business with people as your partner. So I consider that as another form of creative capital raising. Tell us about the way you structure your JVs and how does that work? Yeah, I'll just use that same example for Indianapolis. So that one, I think it was 200,000 down that we needed. And so it's a smaller amount. And that's what I like is I like deals that I can just work with one other JV partner. Yeah, Syndications are great when you're doing, I'm a smaller company. I work with a bunch of VAs, me, and then my property managers. Joint and ventures so, often are more profitable than syndications. There's nothing wrong. I love joint ventures as well. Yeah. And so JVs work great with small total amounts. 200,000 is not a large sum of money if you're talking about real estate in general. And so I went out to him, showed him the deal. He loved it. How did we structure it? He brought the capital. I'm running the deal. I'm doing all of the all the work. And then I think we just split it 50-50 with him giving a preferred return for, I think it's a 7% pref, preferred return. Yeah. And so that's how we structured it. That's fascinating. There's a lot of things that, another thing that a lot of people don't know is that you can actually structure JVs to pay the same way syndications are paid with prefs and whatnot versus just like a straight equity and cash flow split. So that's kind of a fascinating portion of it too. What other asset classes are you looking into for the future? And let's start there. Self-storage is still, I love it. And I'm still looking for deals for self-storage. And I'm also still looking for deals in mobile home parks. 
we haven't found like a, a really good deal in the past probably six months. And so I have been looking at other asset classes. I mentioned industrial. We've been marketing for industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks. We've considered multifamily. I don't have any experience there outside of my duplexes. And so, and there's a lot of competition, obviously. We feel, or I feel that there is still plenty of opportunity in those three asset classes that I already mentioned. If a multifamily deal fell in my lap and it was a great deal, yes, I'd buy it. But we're not like actively seeking it. And medical office, retail, all mm-hmm. that stuff, the same applies. If a great deal fell in my lap, I'd check it out. But we're not actively seeking those deals. No, that's cool. I get it. A lot of people are moving out of multifamily because it's so hard to get things to pencil, because financing is challenging, and because there's so much competition in the space. So I see people niching into sub areas, like either heavy lift multifamily or A-class, or even assisted living multifamily and other things. And people are moving into development. So they're kind of, although there's going to be lots of opportunities here because people have financed a lot of multifamily incorrectly. So I think some people are waiting for those opportunities. However, I would say and suggest that any time that you can purchase real estate, if you can do it with a solid business plan, it is a good time to buy. And most people that become rich, they do it during a down economy. So those are things that I hear a lot from the people that are still being successful and that are not waiting on the sidelines. So just, I would say, contemplate that for a minute. All right. So I love all of those things. Why don't we dive into the lightning round real quick? And then probably finish up talking a little bit about your show. How about we start with this? Best vacation you've ever taken? I went to travel Europe with my dad right after high school. And that was a blast. That's probably, it's not the whole family, but me and my dad had a lot of fun. We started in Norway. And then we went down through Denmark, Amsterdam, up into England, and then into Scotland, and then back to England and flew out. And before that, I was doing a study abroad in Spain. And so I'd flown over, went to Spain, and then I traveled myself around Italy and France, Portugal. I did the Southern Europe, then my dad came, and we did Northern Europe, and it was a blast. (laughs) Europe is sick. Get your passport, guys, if you don't have one. Favorite book of any kind? I'm going to go with Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. It is just like, I'm sure all you guys have heard of it. It's a great book. Marcus Aurelius, Roman Emperor, he wrote it when he was on his campaign trail, not his campaign trail, his <laughs> military campaign trail. And it's just a bunch of just small pieces of wisdom. It's great just to pick up and read a couple couple sections, put it back down. Yeah, one of my favorite books. Dustin Hendrickson gave that book an endorsement on this show as well. If you guys are interested, I'd check it out. How much of your success do you attribute to mindset? A lot. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about mindset, but just determination to not give up. If you decide that you want to achieve something and you just keep going forward until you get it, that's the very foundation and the building block that is success. I guess that's mindset. Mm-hmm. Just thinking that you're not going to give up. I feel like that's the that's the one thing that I would attribute my success to is just not giving up because I've hit tons of roadblocks. I've been kicked in the face plenty of times, but I just keep going and it's in the very short term, it can look like a downward trajectory, but if you if you go out over 10 years, you can see that your life has been going up every single year, year over year, there's a upward trajectory. And so you just keep going and just know that hard times are gonna come, then it's all good. Love it. How long do you wanna live? I want to see my grandkids and then have some fun with them and then I'll probably be good. 
uh, whatever year that is. I don't know what year that is, but. Best way to raise capital from your perspective. Short answer on this. Two parts. One part, have some kind of authority. If you have podcasts, have something. Just have something that shows that you know what you're talking about. And then the second part is go out there and talk to people. Can you tell me about a moment that changed the trajectory of your life? When I decided not to go to law school, that was a huge thing. It was a really hard decision to make, and I and it completely changed the trajectory of my life in both. It was a difficult decision, and it was, it was big. That's probably the biggest moment, the biggest single decision that I made that changed my, at least my, my career, was the decision not to go to law school and instead do something that I wanted to do. What would you need, Gabe, in order to 10x your business? Right now, it is deals. We have, we have capital in place. We have operations in place. We're ready to take on more deals, but I just haven't found a good deal that fits my bucket. So probably I need to market more. We've been doing marketing, but I think we just need to do more. And I say this, I, I say this to anybody who asks, like, how do you find good deals? Go out there, market for more properties, underwrite more properties. But I need to follow that on advice and go out there and do more marketing. Excellent. Do your spiritual philosophies have anything to do with your success in business? Oh, for sure. Yeah. That goes down to mindset. I grew up Christian. Then I went away from religion in general. I read a bunch of philosophy books, Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics. I love everything they have to do. And they really give the mindset, the, the paradigm that is necessary, in my opinion, for success in business. And all the Stoics and their philosophy is fantastic. And I really got into Buddhism for a while. I love Buddhism. So having that mindset, having spirituality, I guess, is what allows me to keep going in spite of any setback that I run into. Love it. Definitely a fan of Eastern philosophy. Have you ever experienced a miracle or had a near-death experience? I feel like... <laughs> It's just, it's a miracle that I made it to where I am today. <laughs> like, That's the answer. Even going, when I traveled Europe, you think about how many things that could have gone wrong. And I, I've gone to Europe, I've been to Southeast Asia, I've been to, I lived in South America for a while. And those were all when I was younger, probably 25 and under. And at that point, I was a little bit more of a rowdy guy. And so I'd go out and have more fun. And it's just amazing that I, that I made it through all that stuff. Last question of the day brought to you by Shen Amigo. She would like to know what impact would you like to leave in the world? The biggest impact I feel like that I have control over and that I want to, that I'm very cognizant of is the impact that I have with the people that I work with and that I live with and that I, that I love, my family members, my friends, that I am a positive influence and a positive presence in their life, I think is the biggest biggest impact that I want to have. And then in business, it's great when you do big deals and get things done. That's always enjoyable. It's more of the personal relationships. I want to be a positive influence in the people that I uh, engage with. Cool answers on the lightning round. Still my favorite part of the show after like three or four years of doing it. Shout out to the Capital Razor Nation. Thanks for tuning in. Please leave us a five-star written review. Shout out to our sponsors, the Family Office Club and Invest Next. Gabe, how does the audience get a hold of you? Yeah, if you guys want to learn a little bit more about what we do, we have a company website, Kaizen Properties, but check out the podcast. That's the best way. And the podcast is therealestateinvestingclub.com. And that's investing with an ING. So therealestateinvestingclub.com. 
Okay, so tell us a little bit about the show. Who are you interviewing? What kind of things are you doing? And how is it helping you raise capital or become an authority in your space? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're on episode, we're almost going to episode 400, which is crazy to think about. I started it when COVID happened because I was doing a lot of networking at the time. And I was like, all right, now I got to figure out something else. Podcasts made a lot of sense. I'm really glad I did because I met so many awesome people like Ruben. And it's been great. Gives you authority because I've been having conversations. People can hear about the deals that I do because I talk about it on my show. The show itself, it's asset class agnostic. So we just bring people on. I really like to focus on stories, how people got to where they are. And then we go into what they're specifically good at be it self-storage. I've had people on that flip farms. I've had people on that short-term rentals, all the different asset classes that you can think about. They come on the show, talk about their stories, and then about what makes them successful. Cool, man. Love it. Any last parting words of wisdom for the aspiring commercial real estate investor as they scale on their journey? Yes. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. And it's the advice that I want to give myself as well is just If you have a goal and you have your why, just keep going forward. Don't give up. You're going to get there eventually. Just don't let anything slow you down. Fantastic. Love it, dude. This has been a cool interview, man. I really appreciate you coming on, Gabe. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on.